Hello, and welcome to episode 172 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Brandon Owen, writer of Arcana Issue 1, now on Kickstarter, December 19th until December 19th, 2020. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, could you give us a little bit about yourself, a quick bio, and then maybe a little bit of an elevator pitch for, for this comic? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate being here. Um, so Arcana is, is really, the elevator pitch would be it's, uh, it's, it's Harry Potter meets Band of Brothers. Uh, if a little bit more in depth than that, it's um, in 2012 was the end of the Mayan calendar. It was the beginning of a new age. Technology fell apart. Ancient occult magic came back into the world. And that is flip the world upside down. And it's really at its core, a story about belief of different kinds and uh, World War III with magic. Very nice. And how about a little bit about yourself? Is this your, your first uh, delve into comics or any sort of creativity? Oh, yeah. It's my first, first delve into comics. I actually uh, started the seed of the story, kind of planted itself in my brain 10 years ago. And so I dabbled in it here and there. I've been a lifelong comics fan. I have comics that I used to make when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Um, but with this idea, I decided I wanted to take a real run at it. And uh, through time, I worked on the script and story and, and got really serious about it about three years ago. Um, about two and a half years ago, I met my artist, my illustrator, who decided he would uh, believe in the project and collaborate with me. And we've been working on it ever since and um, got a publishing deal with Heavy Metal's new imprint virus in May and now the Kickstarter and excited to release it out into the world. But when I wasn't working on comics, I, uh, I'm an EDM event producer, clubs, festivals, um, concerts, things like that. And I've run my company, White Rabbit Group, uh, for the past uh, 11 years in January. Um, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So you said this was an idea that you've been sort of kicking around in your head for about 10 years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. First started 10 years ago. I was just drawing, uh, sketching. I'm, I'm not that great of an illustrator. Uh, Sean's much better, but I've got some drawing ability. I like to do it. And I, I just drew this um, cover and it was just for fun. There's nothing much to it. Just like, yeah, I'll throw some stuff on the page. And I really liked it. And it kind of like, planted an idea well what would the story behind this be and and I just started working on it in the beginning it was the story was um it was like Harry Potter meets X-Men and I I got to admit it was it was like it was really bad <laughs> it was really <laughs> bad <laughs> and uh but I was like no this can be better and everything and I kept working on it and so 10 years later here we are with a publishing deal and a successful kickstarter so very nice. And so it sounds like it was always envisioned to, to be a comic book, you know, even starting off with a sketch, because that's interesting, because it seems like it's one of two things. It's either always been a comic or it was a prose work that didn't sort of work out mm. or somebody had like the dream of being sort of the great next American novelist and just sort of right. like had the idea and then they changed it to a comic. But for you, it sounds like it's always, you know, you had the germ of the idea, then you had a sketch. So it seems like it's always, that was the direction you wanted to take it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I always wanted to be in comics, as I said, as a kid, you know, I used to write my own. Um, I'm happy I kept them. It's kind of like part of my my backstory, I guess, <laughs> as a character, you know. Um, but yeah, my friend and I, we we loved comics, uh, always go to the big movie premieres and everything, um, always been readers. And we realized that like, that's the source material for most of the things that, you know, we love in cinema. And so it kind of reinvigorated my interest in, in participating in that. And um I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, I write comics so I can hopefully get a movie deal. Although who doesn't want that? But uh, it was like, oh man, we could, it was just, it, it just kind of lit some enthusiasm to start writing and to start working on projects and stuff. And sort of where did your love of like fantasy and things like that come from that sort of gave the idea for the world, I guess the, 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 uh, the sort of inception of the idea for the world? Yeah. Okay. So 
I do love like fantasy, high fantasy as a genre. I'm a Dungeons and Dragons player, you know, uh, I DM on the weekends and everything. So that's like been a part of me for a long time. Um, but more than that, what this story in particular came from was an interest in, in magic. Um, even as a little kid, I mean like seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid, I was interested in like the Celts and, you know, the Druids and Norse magic and even... Um, I had this really interesting library for a child uh, that was all my own choosing, but I would go and spend my money on books by that publisher Llewellyn. They did this like Magic of the World series and it was like, it's basically paganism, right? From different places in. And I, I so wa badly wanted it to be true, to connect like this, you know, the sword and the stone type of stuff with like history. Um, but I, you know, I, my, my predominant thinking was well, you know, people believed in this stuff for thousands of years. Something has to be true here, right? Maybe there's not dragons and maybe I can't like cast fireballs, but there's gotta be something, something underneath all this. And so it was that um, interest and like deep dives throughout time into um, like historical magic that really uh, fueled this, this story. Like it became one of those things where it's not like, oh, this would be fun to do, but like, I need to do something with this, like, uh, uh, you know. That makes like, sense. And quest. I'm looking, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking behind you right now. And you've got these, like, looks like you've got maps up and like sort oh, of yeah. charts and things like that. So are you sort of like big into sort of when you come up with a fantasy world, like the one that you're writing or uh, not? I know that the, some of it's sort of, it sounds like some of it may be based on Earth, but like, are you sort of big into that, like, uh, like when you start world building, are you big into like creating the history, the cartography, the I guess the geography of the oh, yeah. whole world with the artist and everything? Yeah, I mean, all adventure starts with a map, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so that was definitely a part of it, um, and that's where it, it is. You're you're dead on. It is a story of Earth, but it's divergent Earth. So December 21st, 2012 is when the Mayan calendar ended and that's where my story really begins. So we have a shared history up to that point and then things go all uh, you know, upside down on everybody. Um, so I had to do some stuff in the world crafting because we're dealing with the divergent Earth and it was fun, but I, I wanted to change it even more dynamically. So. Um, if you watch the video on Kickstarter, anybody out there, uh, you'll see that there's a little backstory on the world and kind of gives you the, you know, in a world where type of thing, you know, it catches us up. Um, and one of the things that happened was uh, something called the conflagration, which is when the Mayan calendar ended and a new era started, like for 10 years, there were just nonstop natural disasters somewhere on earth. And like four of the super volcanoes on earth blew up. And it was fun because everything in the story relates to truth. You know, there's um, one of the panels in the, in the video is um, Seattle just getting, uh, eating it from an earthquake. And that's uh, relates to the um, Northwest subduction plate, which, you know, the big one that could like crash everything west of the fire freeway into the ocean and this big dramatic, you know, world shifting thing. So I used those to kind of reshape the earth and create something that's similar, but also unique to the story and a fun playing ground, you know, you know, re move the map around for, for our own fantasy purposes. Nice. And it, so it sounds like it's, it's very well researched and sort of planned out. Um, and for a lot of folks who do sort of magic in their books, they, they set up a magic system with rules. Do you, did you go that far to, to, to set that up? Oh man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how to say this briefly. So, so yeah, that's one of the things it's not a dragons and fireballs type of magic system. Um, it's something that's based in as much researched reality as I could. Uh, it's got like those granules of truth in the old magic systems that I was talking about. Um, the, the predominant rule that we're going by here is um, that the connection between dead objects like, uh, like plastic and, and the metals and stuff that our technological world runs off of has weakened. 
and the connection between living things uh, has strengthened. And the major, the major conduit, the thing gets it right, the kind of like oil in the, in the uh, engine is thought. So human beings are uniquely suited to communicate with living things in this way because our thought patterns are pretty strong. And, and, uh, and so that is the thing that everything has to stem from. Everything's got to touch back to that. Every piece of magic, every ritual, every spell, things like that, um, touch back to that idea. So for example, you won't see where they like all of a sudden you know, raise their fist to the sky and, and roots grow around the ankles really fast, like in a lot of magic systems, because that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. But there are things like illusion, where if there is a strong, powerful mage, he can literally project a hallucination into the mind of somebody that he, you know, uh, is attuned to and make them see things or, or there's things like dreamwalking and different concepts like that. And there's animal communion, plant communion and stuff, um, which is fun, but it's not like the uh, create a portal and step through, mm -hmm. you know, the, the more Dr. Strange type of stuff. Um, because I feel like it's been really done. We've seen that a lot. And for me, I get immersed in things personally when there's some truth to it. And I only have to take one little step to make it fantastic, you know, instead of giant leaps. I love the metaphorical image that you brought up with the magic of someone casting illusions into someone else's mind that, you know, like there's the, like every Christopher Nolan film is some sort of metaphor for filmmaking, but I think like the best one of his is like the prestige where like mm -hmm. that movie is such like a masterful metaphor for like the filmmaking and storytelling process about like trying to immerse someone in a story with the way mm -hmm. of you like using illusions and things like that. So it's like, I, I see something like that and I'm like, that's such a cool, that's such a cool narrative device that you can use then like, well, you don't, you may not be doing it consciously, but like that gives the reader something to maybe else to look into as far as like, like it sort of is doing multiple things. Like it's creating something unique about your world and the rules of the magic, but it's also sort of like, meta textually commenting on sort of what you're doing as a creator and things like that uh, <laughs> thanks yeah I like that. that that's really cool um do you think about that when like you're going in and you're thinking about themes of your book and stuff like that or is that just sort of something that's secondary um with now, your... uh, yeah I think that um you know I think a lot of projects spring from people's minds organically and it's just like that touched by the muse and then it happens. This was such a long process and such a conscientious process. Uh, at one point, everything was on the page, right? And it was like, a, it was like a sculptor. I had this big amorphous blob of everything I love, you know, especially as a first time writer. And I wanted to find a way to geniusly fit it all in there. But as I, as I worked on my craft and learned from, you know, different, books and programs and a thousand hours of YouTube videos and 10,000 hours of writing or whatever. Uh, it, it was more like getting the block of marble and chiseling it down to, you know, as Bruce Lee once said, you know, reveal the truth that's underneath. Um, so a lot of it was conscientious. Like uh, I realized it was important to me to include these historical facts or, or like, I guess pseudoscience, you know, but to make these leaps and then for themes and everything, there were a lot of themes involved in, at first. And, and I, even my own process, the, sometimes they say that, you know, you don't know what it's about until you finish it, right? Until you're on X draft of it. Uh, sometimes you don't even know what it's about going in. And that was definitely my story. I had to do a lot of work and finish the story, do a couple of drafts and go back. And I was like, oh man, you know what? I think I think what it's really about is this and then do another draft and another draft and such um, until it seemed, you know, it's like a riddle. It's like, once you know the answer, it seemed, all seems so obvious, right? And I was just like, I think what it's really about is just the concept of belief in general. You know, mm -hmm. the funny thing about my story is in my world, you don't have to believe in magic. It just is, it's a fact like science, right? It's like gravity, it just, it's there. Um, but what the characters do and don't believe in in other realms of the word uh, kind of dictates the characters and the story and the struggles. So, yeah. 
Well, that's cool. It's a really cool uh, sort of teaser for what the book deals with. I like that. So you answered a couple of questions I was going to have with that last answer you gave. You said that you were sort of reading books, watching YouTube tutorials, sort of putting in the, the time, just sort of writing to, 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 to find out what works and what doesn't work. So it seems like you had that sort of background. Were you also sort of like, when you would read a comic, were you sort of like, that's something that I like and that's something I wanna incorporate and that's something that I don't like and that's something I wanna stay away from. So it was like, you re when you, like you had that sort of love of reading um, a comic and then when you make the switch and for myself, I found this a little bit that sort of everything I read is a little bit for an enjoyment, but it's also a little bit for a dissection to say like, mm -hmm. okay, that's that that this is sort of the you know behind the scenes the machine that's going on how can i break that down so did you do a little bit of that absolutely you know i i think at a certain point it's like you it's hard not to right you know mm -hmm. and you tend to ruin a lot of things for your friends when you go see movies or you know read the same stories and stuff because you become overtly opinionated about it <laughs> uh but yeah, everything, you know, what I try to do is, um, well, first off, I was absolutely influenced by other people, uh, 100%. I mean, what fantasy writer uh, isn't influenced by like Tolkien and such? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was writing this while like pretty much I came up with this idea, I think a couple months before Game of Thrones came out. And then I was like, ah, oh, man, they're doing it so well and their magic is pretty cool, you know? Um, uh, but there's a just a litany of stuff. But I, what I try to do um, is, as far as comic books in particular, is the double read. I try my best to read it the first time just without my analysis hat on and just read the story for pure enjoyment and everything. And at the end of that, I kind of, then I begin my dissection and I think about how it made me feel. I kind of ponder on it for a while, you know, over coffee or maybe write, scribble some notes and stuff. But I think that's important, you know, because you want, first of all, you don't want to ruin every reading experience for yourself, right? You want to be able to just get immersed and get lost and enjoy it and go on the journey um, without like trying to peek behind the curtain at the man with the, the levies or levers and stuff. Um, but then the second read, uh, I, you know, I get more analytical and, you know, I, because <laughs> I didn't take any classes really for comic book writing. So I was doing things like I'm counting the words in the bubbles. Like how many is too many words per page? <laughs> <laughs> how many panels can you put? Like, you know, even though I've got a lot of experience with comics, reading them, um, you know, like dissecting it and putting together your own is a whole different experience. And then, you know, with your artist, like am I overloading him? At first I was writing everything as like a seven panel page, six panel page. And I'm like, my artist needs more room to breathe. So I had to redo everything as like, once I got an artist for my finished script, I had to do a redraft for him, you know, to be like, okay, this, he needs more room for these things and stuff. And he really is great at these backgrounds. We want to let that shine. Um, and I'm going and reading, you know, all my favorites and seeing what they're doing and piecing it together. And somewhere in that mess is, is my style, you know, uh, which I, is still emerging and probably will for however long I'm writing, but. Um, yeah, first reads for me and just see how I feel about it. Second read is like the nitty gritty. Nice. Yeah, Noah and I have had a few conversations on the podcast lately, and it might not necessarily be like uh, a second read, but like a lot of our famous, our favorite comics lately have been things that we've read and then sort of stuck in our mind for the next three or four days. And even though we didn't do a reread, we're sort of like, it's still like, still thinking about it. I don't know if you're reading like Rorschach, um, with with Tom King by DC Black Label, but that was one of the yeah, ones where like we're like we're we're thinking about it like two or three days later. So even with that like second reread, that that's got to be pretty enjoyable. Do you guys have a favorite recommended comic right now that I can pick up? Definitely Rorschach. Rorschach. Uh, oh yeah, it's up there. Okay, yeah. I like that. Uh, I think also... that's the top right now. <laughs> Yeah, and if you want to go back a tiny bit, a little bit, we, we recently recommended there's a new sort of hardcover of the uh, Tom King, Lee Weeks, Batman, sort of the things mm. that they did together. And I think okay. it maybe it has a little bit of the Jorge Fornes stuff. So I know we gave two Tom King recommendations there, but 
It's hard um, not to. I'll ask, all the stuff I've read recently is Tom King, so he's fresh in my mind. Yeah. Uh, nice. But with your uh, sort of like, I really appreciate your sort of like thought with like, you know, like your, your sort of care for the artists and sort of wanting them to shine because like, I really think that sort of is the, is like the key to a good comic is where both people's talented talents are on display equally, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you letting your story shine while also letting your artist's storytelling shine. Um, sure. so where did that like care and like sort of, I guess, thought, and and consideration for the artist come from was that something you had read or 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 just from experience um i guess it's experience you know uh i guess it's a combination of a lot of things i've i have read a little bit like i've read creative ink on how pixar does things and that was slightly influential i mean they're the big guys you know and how they storytell is obviously amazing uh which is what we're doing here we're just storytelling right um and comics is a visual medium but it's it's from working like even with my EDM background, I'd have uh, sometimes like 60 promoters working, you know, on some shows and we'd all get together once a month and we'd, I'd have them pitch their artists that they were, that were on the rise and I'd listen to them. So like working collaboratively has always kind of been part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. um, with this project in particular, it's interesting because uh, you're doing yourself a disservice if if you're not, I mean, we have, we meet a lot. <laughs> we have like almost nightly um, Zoom calls nowadays with, with uh, our illustrator and Sean and I, and we talk about panels and sometimes they do quick sketches or we'll do things. I mean, it's all of our first comic. Uh, Sean comes from a background of storyboarding and other illustrations and stuff. And he's done some, some stuff for his portfolio and everything for comics and it's awesome. Um, but it's all our first series and everything. So we want it to be the best it can be. And there's times where like his art informs my story a bit or where I have something where I'm like, ah, but you know what? Your facial expressions illustrated it so well. I don't think we need this line anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that um, what we want to do is get the best story out there. We want to entertain the crowd and bring them into our world as much as humanly possible. Uh, so with that in mind, it, it's no longer like my words or my writing versus his heart. It's just our story. It's just the story, right? Um, and we're all we're all like just paying tribute to that as best we can, you know. So uh, so it makes it easy to do cuts. You know, I'm not worried about it. Sometimes there's a line I really love, and I got to put it in my notepad and be like, oh, I got to use that somewhere, but not here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, I think that makes it easy. I think, you know, if you've got a good looking page and it's made better because of less bubble space, you know, then, then great. And how did, oh, sorry, uh, I, well, I guess I have two questions. Um, so first of all, like your writing style, do you tend to be like very descriptive or do you sort of leave things open for the artist to interpret? Um, so how, how is your writing style? Yeah, I'm pretty descriptive. Uh, I was, we had a great editor um, that we hired for this project, it being our first one. Um, it, and uh, he gave me some really good advice, but he also complimented me that he said I was an entertaining writer and stuff. And, and my, my panel explanations tend to be a little uh, novella-esque, you know, they're, they're not usually like, alleyway you know it's like it'll describe the alleyway and the type of trash that's flowing out and everything and i you know i i think to be honest i think that's the uh the the D, &D dungeon master in me <laughs> that i've really got to set up the scene you know and give them some smells and some sensory stuff to put them in there and everything um you know the temperature and remember the season you know it's it's really cold outside so the characters would you know um without being like crazy about it but I definitely give like three or four lines uh for setup and um explaining where we're at and then a lot of it it's on these calls that were these collaborative calls that we're doing and stuff and we kind of he blocks it out and we go over it and then I'm like okay we've got this and this and don't set up you know don't forget to put the gun on the shelf on this panel because it goes off over here so mm -hmm. you know we want to 
and use the color red because this and that so because <laughs> it, it relates to their emotional state so um yeah we collaborate on that and we talk about references and you know pull up all kinds of things and it's we just nerd out for like an hour or two a night <laughs> so awesome it's so pretty intense no you um you had a question so i'm gonna let you go here well, that actually plays into sort of what I was going to ask next. And you sort of brought up how like being a dungeon master sort of uh, assists in your writing style. And you mentioned just briefly that you've worked at like EDM um, and mm -hmm. things like that. And so one of the things I always like to ask, especially when I find out that like one of our writers has sort of a, a music or you know some other background with uh, with writing and stuff like that. Do you find that like you have like that's sort of like you have like a natural rhythm or pace to your writing and stuff like that, especially with like writing panels and things that like. Oh man. Yeah. It, it took a while to find, you know, at, at first it was like scattershot, you know, but like the only way to know is to just keep writing. And so um, I definitely feel the style emerge. I think my EDM background, because in, in music, I'm an event producer. So that came in handy on uh, all the other stuff that most artists hate, right? <laughs> so when yeah. it came to negotiating the contract, when it came to reaching out to, you know, doing solicitations for the story and, and pitch decks and things like that, and uh, the Kickstarter and the marketing, and because I've run um, marketing campaigns also for like some of the country's largest festivals, so um so that came in handy that skill set and it was really nice to like have those bases covered and not dread i actually like that stuff you know putting together the stretch goals and the rewards and i've got my spreadsheets of how much everything costs and stuff like that so all of that was kind of like handled by my day job background and then i really had to um work on on a writing style and everything but i would say D, &D is it's huge because D&D is really like, it's just the gym for your imagination and more so for storytelling, you know? Uh, if you're really doing immersive worlds, if you're world crafting, um, you know, why things and people are the way they are, how they interact, uh, you know, surprising the group with that, the, the lowly farmer they helped out and, you know, the, the first campaign ever and he comes back and helps them, you know, in a critical point and stuff and everybody has that recognition moment. Um, it all plays in, you know, it's practice, if, if, especially once you're conscious of it, you know, mm -hmm. then it becomes even more so uh, like it's, it's just story practice like every week. So D&D. Good for writers. <laughs> nice. Uh, so um, I have two questions that involve Sean, the, the artist. First would be, how did you guys link up? Yeah. Okay. So I just put it out on my Facebook. I'm like, does anybody know anybody with any artists, friends or anything like that? I've got this script and I'd love to pitch it to them. Um, or actually, no, that's a lie. That was a lie. I put it out there that I needed character designs first, paid work. And I was like, I have a story and I'm going to Comic-Con and I'm going to pitch it and I need some characters designed. And uh, an old, old friend linked me up with somebody that they thought might be good for it because they're an illustrator. They're a very talented illustrator, but they weren't available, but they knew somebody that was and had been doing some comic stuff. So um, they linked me with Sean. And so Sean did my character designs and I go to Comic-Con in San Diego and I stand in lines and I pitch it and I got some rejection letters and then I went home and I vowed my vengeance and then uh, <laughs> and I kept writing and stuff like that. Um, and then I was looking for an artist and it just like never occurred to me that I could approach Sean because Sean's a professional. And I really at the time, like I just didn't have the extra money to, you know, put down a couple grand for an artist or something to complete this book for me. Uh, I was being really frugal, especially at that time. And after a while I was looking for all these artists and I was like, you know what, this isn't like me, just go ahead and ask. Maybe he says no, or maybe he knows somebody that could. So I said, hey man, do you, do you remember that script? I would love for you to illustrate it. Uh, I could, you know, would you like to be like my partner on it, right? As opposed to like a page rate. And um, he was like, oh man, I, that script was great. And I remember it and I would love to. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know? Nice. So, so I was like, so stoked. I'm like, oh my God, a 
you know, professional illustrator like my story. So we linked up there and we brought Nigeli in as a colorist later so that we could, once we got the publishing deal, we're like, oh man, we're going to have to actually make this thing now. So, um, because we did the pitch pages together, you know, mm -hmm. you do a few pitch pages of colored, colored, finished and the cover and a synopsis and stuff. And when it got picked up, we're like, oh my God. And they were like, how long do you see this thing going? And I'm like, well, as long as possible, but at least 25 issues. And they were like, great. <laughs> we're like, oh my God. <laughs> we have so much work to do so we brought in a colorist but that's that's how we met it was just a friend of a friend putting out on facebook kind of that whole getting over the fear of asking thing and putting it out there and you know it all came together that's nice. great and so you had mentioned earlier that you guys are um i think you said nightly or whenever you guys can you guys are sort of doing a zoom a zoom call with like a screen share was mm -hmm. that the way the project always was going or was like sean going and doing pages and then turning turning things over to you and as we've gone through sort of 2020 and everybody's zooming and skyping did you guys move to that uh, process later yeah that's pretty much exactly what happened you know he would uh he would send roughs and we'd kind of, he'd send each phase, right? Like here's a rough blocking of the page. And I'd be like, well, I really wanted to focus more on the whatever, you know, or, or, or that looks fantastic. Don't touch it. Keep going or keep going, you know? Um, and so it'd be like rough pencils, pencils, inks, and we'd have, we'd have this thing. And every, every uh, time I'd get an email, it was like Christmas. Cause I was seeing my, my dream, <laughs> like, you know, become real. And uh, as the character designs started coming through, I was like, oh my God, look, and I'd show everybody and stuff. I was so excited. Um, but now, yeah, with, with uh, the quarantine and also I'm in Seattle, uh, they're in LA. So it's uh, somewhat of a necessity, but this just helps things. And it's always that fine balancing act of working with creative people or on any creative team where it's like, I wanna give them enough information uh, to make sure that it's being told correctly and that we're hitting all the right points, right? But I don't want to micromanage them, put them in a box or stifle them. I want his ability as an artist to be able to like really breathe as long as we're hitting the right points. You know, if it like, if there's a really tragic moment that we want to focus on, it can't be a tiny panel or anything. It needs space and stuff. So so working things out in the script and then the roughs has been like the most important part. And then really they can fly from there and we jump on calls and, you know, maybe one or two things need to be tweaked or something, but um, it took a while for us to kind of find our rhythm as a creative team, but I think we found it and art is coming out a lot faster now. And I think that every page is like cooler than the last. So. And is there any, like, uh, has there any time when you guys are doing the Zoom call? Because a lot of times as a writer, you're writing stuff and you, you sort of see things in your mind's eye as, as, you're, as, you're, mm -hmm. as you're writing those words to a page. So has there ever been a time where Sean has sort of almost nailed it perfectly, what was in your mind's eye? And then also, was there a time when you guys were um, Zooming that something was like sort of organically like sort of transformed like in that process that you're like yeah you know i envisioned it this way but working it through on the zoom call seeing you sketch out the details that makes a lot more sense yeah definitely i mean you know every every situation has come up and you know at least once right where where he has nailed it dead on or improved upon what i saw or the mark wasn't quite hit, or you know, I was like, oh, I might not have put as much emphasis as I wanted to in the script. So let's do this, and um, and then also like I think my biggest thing is though I I, I was almost so overly ambitious because I like being drawn into panels. You know, I like a world in a panel, and sometimes there's just so much space, and you can only focus on really one thing at a time. Uh, so I've had to eliminate some background like things because. I'm thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they read, read it through a second or third time? And it's like, oh, I never noticed that that, you know, but that, uh, that ambitiousness, you know, it, it seems like that cleverness like that um, always loses to honesty of the, mm -hmm. of the story, you know? So I've, 
had to declutter some of my writing, um, you know, because it's like, oh, that's not really working. It's too small or we can't fit that much stuff. And I, and I do a redraft and I'm like, all right, let me unclutter this for you. And I pull it out of the script and then, uh, and then it always looks a little bit better. So. So you had mentioned um, that you would, you know, when you, you talk to um, the, the folks from heavy metal and, and virus um, that they asked how long this would, would was going to go on for. And you said, you know, hopefully as long as possible, but at least 25. Um, so I'm assuming you have like a sort of an ending point or like a dramatic moment at, at 25 um, that, that you're working to, but are you also then thinking of like trades to like sort of like issue five, I got to sort of tie up a, a story element, but I also got to give you enough to have you, you coming back for, for, for more issues after that? Yeah, definitely. So if you want to get into the nitty gritty of the, of kind of the structure of my writing in particular, um, I started out with researching because I read some, I read some materials on comic book writing. Bendis has a book. Alan Moore's got a great, like more pamphlet than book, you know, uh, that's got some really solid information. Um, and it was like, know your structure, know things, but it was difficult. I wanted something like, I wanted to know the code, right? Like I really wanted to know what I was doing. I felt like I was doing a lot of just vague, misty, guesswork you know on things and I was trying to extract the lessons from the comics that I liked uh, one of the books that helped me out a lot was Save the Cat which is Blake Snyder's screen um, screenwriting book and that because at least it had structure you know it was very formulaic structure but it was a solid like this happens then this happens then this happens I was like okay I cannot wrap my head around that that is solid you know steel beams in which to write it around you know like build this thing on. Um, the interesting thing about screenplay structure is especially in that book, it's based on 110 pages, right? Typical comic books are 22 pages with a five comic arc being one trade, right? So that gave me like, okay, that makes sense. Now I can apportion this here, here, here. So if a five issue arc is a movie essentially, then you start having your moments and you're being able to plot that out accordingly. Um, and then another great book was uh, The Nutshell Technique, which is more, you know, Blake Snyder's uh, Save the Cat it is a beat driven structure where you've got this happens and then this happens and this happens. And Nutshell Technique is uh, the other side of the spectrum where it is a character driven uh, thing that the, um, her thing that she says is that the, uh, if the situation could happen to anybody, then you have a scenario and not a story. It becomes a story when nobody could fit in that, you know, that puzzle piece couldn't fit anywhere else except uh, like your main character, right? Your main character is the only one that makes all this craziness make sense and relates back to it and their their growth and their character arc and everything. So between those two books in particular, uh, I was able to say, okay, it seems like I've got some really great rules that I can live by now and some marks in the sand. So then that's where, that's how I knew to how to develop my first five issue arc. 25 issues, it was a little bit arbitrary when I said it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but but it is a big story. I mean, it's a story of a world war, you know? So, um, so there's definitely a finale in mind. Uh, I've got my beginning in mind. There's some things that might move around and I, I wanted to keep it that way. I'm somewhere in between like being loose and being like incredibly structured um, because I, I would like to discover those things and like finish my first five arc because it's almost like in that respect, it is like D&D. It's like um, when I play d and I don't play with uh, character alignments because characters are fluid and they could become bad guys. They could become better people, you know, and stuff like that. And so I kind of wanted the going on the adventure with my characters to kind of inform some of the story after the fact. And I just don't know how they feel until I've been there with them and seen them on the page and, you know, stuff. So, um, so yeah, I've got a... Definitely have a structure in mind, um, but there's a little room for, for some 
to surprise myself, you know. Nice, and it's I'll have to check out the the nutshell technique because uh, I'm familiar with save by the uh, save save the cat. I almost mm -hmm. said save save by the bell, but save save the cat. Um, <laughs> Another great franchise, but yeah, Zach Morris uh, has some great screenwriting tips. I'm just gonna say that right now. It was Zach Morris is a terrible human being, yeah. but he might yeah. have, he might have some uh, <laughs> some screenwriting tips. But like it seems like with the it seems like with those two books, you have sort of like the the two elements of story you, you have like uh you have sort of the scenario or the structure and then you have character because a lot of times something that i struggle with is that like i can come up with a concept or um or a scenario but to to make the character somebody that you know the reader cares about and wants to root for that's that's the thing that that i struggle with but it seems like with those two books um, that you you had both of those aspects covered. Do you do you do you find that that's the case? Definitely. I uh, you know the thing with Save the Cat is when you have beat driven story only, right? We all know that the characters are what gets us involved, you know, and so so it can be a, it can be interesting but hollow you know i think that is the difference between a story that works especially if we're talking about the screen but i think it translates to uh uh comics as well a story that might work sensibly right um that you could follow that makes sense that like okay this happens and this happens and it all you know the machine the machine is running but the nutshell technique, and by the way, it's um, it's by Jill Chamberlain. Uh, that was something that was like, okay, I always knew that I wanted my stories to be character driven. I just didn't really know how. And her formula is very simple, and it's it's nice because it's it's simple enough where there's so much room to make it your own. You know, it's it's like every human being is different, but we all have the same skeletal structure, right? And so. Um, I don't know, and it, it definitely provided some some revelations for for me as a writer. Uh, and and they're not mutually exclusive; they can combine. You know, um, you could do a beat thing with uh, with the character arcs as well as explained. And it's difficult, you know. I have my board with my all my post its and everything and all the stuff, but uh, you, you know, it start looking like the uh, detective with that's trying to catch the serial killer with all the strings going everywhere and everything and stuff. But, um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a nice missing piece of the puzzle for me. So you had mentioned that um, you, you got Sean early on, um, but what, at what point did the, the colorist and the, the letterer come on board? Nigeli. Okay. So Nigeli's our colorist. Uh, she came on board really shortly after we got our publishing deal. Okay. And he did the pitch pages. He did the color for them, and it looks great. He's perfectly capable of doing great color and everything. But is he perfectly capable of doing it and having any semblance of a life and sleeping eight hours a night and and you know uh, and and delivering it on time and stuff like that? It would be nice if there were two of them, you know. So at that point, we sat down as together, and we were. I was just like, "Hey, man, do we need a colorist?" and he was like, yeah, I think we might. And I said, fair enough. And I went and I looked for one and we found somebody that was a great match for the team. And she's been making some pretty killer stuff, you know, and um, it was nice having a, a lady's voice on the team as well, too, you know, because uh, it's very emotive and stuff. Although, to be fair, she's the one that likes the blood and gore <laughs> out of the three of us. So, <laughs> so, so, you know. She was like, I put more blood on it. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> um, so she joined on. And then our uh, our letterer, Nikki, I actually, I got to admit, I found her off of Fiverr, but she's great. So, I mean, you know, if it works, it works. Um, so she's uh, she gets everything at the very end. Um, and that that rounded everybody, pretty much rounded everybody out for the uh for the creative team um and you, you had mentioned earlier that you know 
once I, I don't know if it was after it was picked up by a publisher or around that same time that you, you brought an editor in. Uh, who's who's the editor on this book? Oh, yeah. OK, uh, so it was for our first issue. Um, Jim Higgins, he had worked for D.C. He actually taught Sean in a class before. And, you know, especially as a first time writer, I'm like, I should really probably call him the pros here. And this is before I pitched it um is when he came in so he read the pitch pages and the the final script um although there were some revisions after that uh <laughs> but he he was really great um he has a wealth of experience he he edits comics like for a living and everything so i was really glad to get his advice and also some some validation that you know I'm not as horrible of a writer as I had <laughs> feared I was. <laughs> oh, that's got to feel great. Yeah, yeah. Someone knows what they're talking about, saying, you don't suck, kid, keep going. I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you, you had mentioned also earlier on in the interview that you had gone to, uh, I think it was San Diego, and you, you were pitching it, and you, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, you got some rejection letters, um, which, you know, we're all supposed to sort of wear as a badge of honor, but they, 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 they still hurt all the, all the same. Um, but uh, you I eventually end up <laughs> <They're> right oh. here. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Most of mine are sent to me in emails. Uh, I guess maybe I need to start printing mine out. I printed them and oh, put okay. them above my writing desk. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but eventually you were able to get somebody at, uh, at virus to to give you the the uh the the okay you know we want to do this so so what did that feel like oh man that was i mean that was just a red letter day you know i uh I, we sent it out um i did the comic-con thing got some rejection letters sent it out to even more people uh got got some no's from you know some of the publishers um got an email from image you know they were i I grew up reading image comics and everything. Uh, so, um, but it's just motivating, you know, I've, I've never really been the kind of person that lets uh, nose discourage me. If anything, they kind of fuel my motivation and I'll show you someday, you know, type <laughs> of thing. Uh, um, <laughs> but when we got through to heavy metal um, and they're, their new imprint virus uh and we got an email and then i got on a call with matt medney who's the ceo and um they said they really liked it and he said that their uh chief what's his official title he did he he's been in comics for quite some time and he's moved over to heavy metal to become their chief creative overlord nice. so the chief creative overlord uh read the script and from what they tell me, um, wanted to sign it immediately. And I was just blown away. I mean, I think, you know, I think I screamed just like irrationally, like just sitting in an empty house on my computer, just, ah! you know, like, um, and I, you know, I had the meeting and then we, we got the paperwork done and everything. And then I called everybody I knew and, uh, and we celebrated and we were in full on lockdown quarantine at this time. So, um, <laughs> so I was like zooming with everyone and I don't know, it's it literally a dream come true. I think, I, you know, I, I just laid out like a starfish on my floor and like breathed heavy for a few minutes. And like my girlfriend was like wondering if I was all right, but I was like <laughs> super happy, you know? So, <laughs> um, so it's awesome, man. It's, it's, it's super cool. You know, you, now we have the chance to to tell our story which i mean that's that's the dream so you're you're uh you're kickstarting uh issue one now um mm -hmm. is there any are you are you looking to get a little bit of ahead before um is it is it is there any discussions about when it will be sort of like a release date when it'll go into previews have you guys got that far oh yeah yeah so um so the Kickstarter ends uh, December 19th, uh, which is soon. So what, 12 days from this recording. Um, and 
we will be, it'll be available on virus uh, in January and right about when it gets um, up on the shop, it will be sent to, uh, to all of our pledgers and backers and such. And um, we're already getting, working on, you know, the other issues ahead of time. Um, and once they get collected into a, a trade paper, we'll be doing a trade paper back at the end of five issues. So by fall next year, fall 2021. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll be super excited to have it out. You know, I can't stop like marketing, you know, it's, it's um, the great thing about virus is it's a creator owned uh, label. So we get to maintain the rights to our characters and our story. And they are being great about backing us up with their platform and their following and their, their marketing um, and their website and all that stuff. And then who knows when, uh, if, and when conventions ever come back, you know, you might catch me hanging around the heavy metal virus booth and stuff. So um, nice. and I'm excited just to enter the world for the first time. I vowed last time I was at Emerald City Comic Con because I live in Seattle. Uh, I was like, next time I come here, it'll be with my own comic book in my hands, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I got an extension on that because of the, uh, the, you know, the pandemic and everything. But yeah, now next time that I'm at ECCC uh, next December, I'll be there with Arcana in my hands. That's that's really cool. So um, it seems like uh, you're going to be in the the world of Arcana for for quite some time here. Uh, but are there any sort of uh, you know? I'm assuming you know your mind is always in story. So like you might be like doing you know some some scripting for for Arcana, but maybe you're out and like you know, you see something, something happens, you're like, oh, that would be a really cool, cool story, or this would be a really cool thing to do. So are you thinking about other things? Or are you just totally immersed in this world right now? I I, I, sh I am totally immersed in Arcana, but you're 100% right. Like the, you know, it just keeps going. And I'm all excited about uh, future projects. So um, hopefully, I will be working on Arcana for, you know, many years to come. Uh, but I do have another script that I'm working on right now, and it's called Tribes. And Tribes is the story about a, uh, a city, sort of like a sin city, like a, you know, compilation of Miami, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, New York. And uh, in this city, there's, there's five gangs. And um, it used to be a city where everything was legal. Uh, but then laws changed and now almost nothing's legal. So they got fractured, the, they got fractured into um, gangs and there's like the, uh, the nightlife and booze gang, the drugs gang, the sex gang, the gambling gang, and the fifth gang is the police. And so it's a story about um, being disenfranchised with uh, your surroundings. Nice. It seems like you're 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 stretching the muscles out of the 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 fantasy magical world. You sort of you got a little bit of this uh, you know dystopian future that you have here, but you've you've sort of branched off from like the magic systems and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I do love fantasy, and uh, I could definitely see myself you know working on other um, fantasy titles, but this one's a bit more of the. Uh, a gritty crime thing, but it's, um, we'll see if I, uh, it depends on the artistic team and everything, but it's also got a fair amount of humor to it. So yeah, it, it, it's been fun so far on uh, to, right now you get to do the just spitballing of the really fun ideas and, you know, then pin them to the, uh, to the line and, and see where the story comes together. Um, but been a much faster process than Arcana, that's for sure. Now with some experience under my belt. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I have one last question, um, and this is going to sort of be a uh, like a like a I guess more of like a real life question. Does anybody in the the cool EDM world know how much of a, a nerd and a geek you are sitting in your bedroom <laughs> writing comic books? Oh yeah, they all know <laughs> it. It's uh, I'm. I'm kind of a strange creature in the EDM world, I feel, especially as promoters go, 
you know, promoters are like cool and they've got the list and everything and all that and, you know, the tickets and stuff. And, and uh, that was definitely, definitely the public image I tried to have for a while, but it kind of, you know, broke down quickly and, and uh, I'd be backstage talking about my D&D &D game. Um, I actually played D&D <laughs> last year I had my birthday at a club and we played D&D &D in bottle service nice. which was nearly impossible with the music but I just wanted to do it um but yeah it's like it's out there I think uh you know with all the promoting I've done in the with the comic and everything but you'd be surprised there's a lot of people um uh, a lot of people play Magic the Gathering uh, uh, because I'm so you know talkative about it and everything and um I met a couple of, you know, touring DJs that are big D&D &D fans and everything. And uh, like, uh, I don't know, you know, Death Saves, it's the label that Joe Maganello has with um, this DJ uh, Diesel Boy. Uh, I don't think I've heard of that one. And it's like this death metal type D&D clothing line. Yeah. Well, like it's getting like it's so much easier now because now you've got huge things like Critical Role and, you know, Vin Diesel played D&D &D and Joe Maganello plays it obsessively mm -hmm. and everything. And like, so it's not quite the uh, closet uh, activity that it used to be, um, especially Seattle's like the best place in the country to be a nerd. I mean, Wizards of the Coast is based here, but now that's bar conversation. Uh, whereas, you know, in some circles in California, it was kind of like, so it was almost like telling them you had like a, like, I don't know some dark history or something be like so there's there's something you should know about me if we're gonna go on a second date so uh so uh i uh on uh on mondays i like to get together with my friends and we play D, &D every week and i hope that's cool but <laughs> but now it's um but now and especially up here everybody's like it's 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 almost like a perk so it's it's great um but yeah, they the all West know. Coast and the and East Coast people are still prudes about that kind of thing. Are yeah. they? Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Come to the Pacific Northwest. It's. I was shocked. I was like, "This is. These are my people. This is my my kinsmen." I was excited. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, people just have a conversation in the bar. People are like, "Oh, I've been wanting to play that." You're like, "Really?" Uh, no, it's 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 really great. And actually, um, there's some really cool creative people because I, you know, at a certain point, I think it goes all hand in hand. But one very, you know, well-known touring DJ friend of mine that I've known for many years, he was, we were talking about a collaborative project. I was like, "Dude, you do the soundtrack, and we'll work on some story stuff, and we talk about it." So who knows? Maybe that's in the future. It would be really fun. It's something we're talking about, and. Um, I said, let me get through Arcana first, but he's a really creative guy. And I think whatever we come up with would be, would be fun and have a cool soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, Very cool. that's awesome. Uh, so Noah, do you, do you have any uh, final thoughts or, or final questions as, as we wrap up here? No, but I really hope you come back with uh with the each, each issue or each, you know, each chapter and, and give us a, an update as where you are creatively and where you are with the story. It'd be awesome. Oh, I'd love to. This has been a lot of fun, you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I checked out the Kickstarter um, and I was looking at the Kickstarter again today and I was really sort of impressed by the art. But, you know, talking story with you uh, now is making me even more excited uh, for this book. So it's uh, it's 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 a really cool thing. So um, as we close up, let's let's do two things. Let's um, do another elevator pitch for for the Kickstarter and let everybody know where they can they can follow the Kickstarter. And if you have any personal links that you want to put out, you know, for on social media, uh, could you give those out? Absolutely. All right. So uh, the elevator pitch, anybody listening, if you've made it this far, hopefully we've sold you on it already. But if you like magic, if you like history, if you like World War, if you like emotional stories, uh, my goal is to make everybody cry at least once. And if I do that, I feel like I did my job but it's a really fun and exciting story that my team and I have poured our hearts into. So it's like Band of Brothers meets Harry Potter. It's like 1917 meets Game of Thrones. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you check it out. $5 pledge on Kickstarter right now gets you a digital copy. You know, it's less than a you know, happy meal. So it's a pretty good deal there for some 30 pages of full color entertainment, the beginning of a great story. Um, 
So I hope you check it out. It's live on Kickstarter right now. Arcana issue one, uh, issue one's called Family Sacrifice. Uh, we got projects we love title by Kickstarter. So you can search easily and find us. I'm sure the links will be in like the bio or caption of wherever this is posted. And um, we appreciate your support, everyone. Thank you for listening uh, to us nerd talk this long. I had a great time. Yeah, me <laughs> I had too. a lot of fun talking about it. Awesome. And I know that you guys have a, a Twitter and an Instagram for, for the comic. Do you, do you guys have uh, anything else? We do. Yeah. It's at craft Arcana uh, on Instagram and it's, uh, you can find it as Arcana on Facebook and it's craft Arcana book on uh, Twitter. And especially on Instagram, we like to post a lot of like works in progress behind the scenes. Sometimes I go live and then once the book is out, you know, we'll be doing a lot of fun stuff and maybe some, some giveaways or some like questions and stuff. Awesome. So we're going to have links to, to all of that stuff in the, uh, in the show notes um, to, for make it uh, as easy as possible for, for people to find. But Brandon, I'm really excited about this book. And as Noah said, um, we'd really love to have you back uh, future issues um or or other projects so for thanks thanks for being on oh matt no thanks for having me i appreciate it and i'll see you guys next time around cool so for anybody listening if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use really appreciate it if you want to follow the podcast we are on social media twitter is at construct comp pod instagram is constructing comics pod facebook and youtube is constructing comics we're going to have links to, to our social media and uh, a link to the Kickstarter and the social media associated with the Kickstarter in the show notes. So if you've been listening and you want to check those out, check the show notes out. But everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics and we'll be out. We'll be back with another episode very soon.